Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hello, Global Investor listeners. Before we start today's show, I want to let you know about Belgrad Homes in Tyler, Texas. They're offering newly constructed 130 square meter, 1400 square foot homes for $145,000. They are offering financing to U.S. and foreign investors for 30 years at 6% interest with a 30% down payment. If you're interested, please contact belgradhomes.com, spelled B-E-O-G-R-A-D homes.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Adam Adams. In 2005, Adam started investing in real estate. Since then, Adam has partnered on seven multifamily syndications with approximately 1,400 doors, valued over $100 million. Uh, He has educated thousands of investors through his real estate conferences, his podcast, Creative Real Estate Podcast, his coaching program, and his thriving meetup group, uh, Meetup com recognized him as one of the six meetup organized top six meetup organizers in the world so thank you so much for being on the show thanks for having me i really appreciate it good good to be on so um what was your uh, professional background that you had prior to starting your your current business um blue spruce well it, it originally started with construction so my dad's a, my my dad's a contractor. So well, I guess he's my stepdad. I call him dad. He's he we've lived with him since I was about five years old. Okay, so um, at five I started driving the tractor. I I that's that's where I was. I was watering plants, doing construction, driving the tractors around, learning how. I wasn't driving them alone until I was eight, but I can't even imagine my thirteen-year-old driving a tractor by himself right now. That would be crazy. But anyways. Um, that's what, that's where I really started on. And that was where, what I did the most, but I used to get heat, st- heat stroke. I would get really sick in the heat. And so it wasn't until what, eight, nine, 10 years later when I was 15 and I said, I don't have to work for my dad anymore. I don't have to work outside anymore. So I got into restaurants when I was 15 years old, Burger King, and then a whole bunch of other restaurants and did bartending and manage some uh, high scale, high end restaurants. But the only things I've ever done my whole life was either real estate. I've always done real estate since 2005, but I've either been in construction or in restaurants. And the only reason I got into the restaurants was because it was the only thing that I knew it would only be indoors. It's the only way to stay out of the heat from yeah. what, what I grew up. But that's that's the that's what I did. I mean, I had I owned uh, a handyman company, the most successful handyman company in the state of Utah, um, until they are probably brought in a franchise. Um, but we we used to do incredibly well. I had thirteen employees, and we were traveling everywhere. And um, uh, eventually, I I managed con- commercial construction for um, a large construction company, just doing multi million dollar. Uh, construction so so it's either restaurants or or uh or construction so you grew up in real estate obviously but how did you why did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle um per se to go full-time into it or start part-time and then go full-time into it 
the originally getting into real estate wasn't a decision for me. It happened to me. I, and it happened to me more than it happened to other people who say it happened to them because my stepdad kept telling me I needed to do it. And I was like, yeah, when I'm old and boring, sure, I'll do it. Like, but not right now. I've got so many other things that I want to do. I'm trying to date. I'm trying to get good grades in college. And my dad in 2005, he literally purchased a piece of property and just gave it to me. Uh, and then two weeks later, he made me buy it because his CPA told him that it was the only way for him not to pay a whole bunch in taxes. So, so it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a choice. But in 2005, when I finally owned a piece of, of America, um, I didn't know what to do with it. So two, so two years later, when they were um, developing the land around my land, I got some um, people offering to purchase it. And so that's when I, when, I, when I actually sold the land, made a profit. I was in college and that, just that profit, and it wasn't even huge. It wasn't huge. It wasn't a million dollars or anything, but it was more than I had ever made in a single year in my life. More than I had ever made in a single year. And I didn't do any work for it. I, the only work that I did to it was drove there once and rode my motorcycle, mo rode a dirt bike on it. And that was it. Um, so I made all this money and that's really what made me decide to like actually do it myself instead of making my dad buy it for me. So in 2007, I started managing property, uh, you know, read Robert Kiyosaki uh, and, I, and I decided that's what I was going to do. So in 08 is when I bought my first apartment multifamily and, um, you know, I, it hurt. It hurt after a couple of years. It didn't hurt right away, but in 2009 it started hurting. In 2010, it started really hurting. In 2011, I lost that property because I was bleeding cash because um, I brought in tenants that shouldn't have been uh, tenants at all. I didn't vet them. I wasn't doing it right. I wanted to help them. Uh, you know, it seemed like times were tough, so I brought them in and, 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 it, and it really got back to me where I had to call up the lender. I'm a big com uh, proponent of creative real estate. And um, so in this case, I had a private lender that, that bought the whole apartment, right? And so I called him up and said, hey, Tom, I don't, I don't, I can't pay you. Like, I'm not going to be able to pay you this month on the first. And he's like, oh, well, here's all these options. I said, I've been doing those options for the last two years. So in 2011, I finally gave the property back to him. I think it's doing really well now because if I would have held it in 2011, if I could have just held for another year or two, um, life would have been completely different, but I, I did lose that property. Uh, so that's kind of like, that's my little journey into getting into real estate. And um, how many units was that, that property? Three, three. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I lived in one of the units and Still remember the address on 400 South in Orem, Utah, right between BYU and which is Brigham Young and 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 Utah Valley University, um, which at the time was called UVSC. But uh, I lived there. I house hacked it, um, and I was doing something that some people are doing with bigger units because one of my uh, one of my units that I lived in had three, and so I actually had uh, I had two other tenants in that one. And then I had tenants upstairs and tenants in the back. So nice. Yeah. That's how I got into with the triplex in 06, which we still own, but it's 
Bryce Dillon, but it's, it was, that's the same way we did it where you got in there and you could cover, you know, you have part of your mortgage paid and stuff like that before there was ever the, the house hacking yeah. name that I knew about at that point. But um, for a while I was making 300 bucks. It was, it was a net of, I wasn't paying rent for myself, but I was netting about 300 bucks a month until the crash. But it sounds like you didn't lose yours. Uh, the one that you bought in 06, you didn't lose yours. You must've gotten good, good tenants uh, or. Yeah, what? it's, yeah, it's like, so I just remember that every time the economy got harder, we could refinance out. So it was like purchased at 6.5 and then like two years later went down to 5.5 and then two years later we got, now it's fixed at like four and a quarter, but it was something where, um, you know, you were able to, it was just like, cause we were, we were managing it ourselves, and I was actually, I was living there and then my brother was living in one of the other units with a roommate and I had a roommate. So we had it all rented out, but it was just one of those things where you just had a, I mean, you rent to the wrong person and it, just how you're saying it. And, and that small of a property, it's life or death. If yeah. you don't have the, if you don't have reserves, you know what I mean? But yeah. Um, I, and I think it's super important for the listener to hear this after this other part, which is in 2008, 9, 10, 11. Um, well, I lost my small multifamily, um, large multifamily had less than a 1% default rate. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I focus now on, on bigger properties, 200 units or so, because um, they have, they're much more likely to be just fine in the next downturn, which I think we're in the middle of. Yeah. So yeah, transitioning to that. So what assets do you currently focus, does your company currently focus on? Classes, obviously 200 plus units. Yeah. C-class only. Uh, we do own a B class. Um, it's fine. It's not as good as a C. Value add only. You, we usually like to have a, bu a very small budget, not a huge deep value add, not trying to change the entire thing, but we put in between 3000 at the minimum and maybe 8000 at the most per unit. And so our budget on a 200 unit is maybe a million or so like, it's not huge, right? And well, I guess it, it's huge if you've never done that before, but uh, per unit, very manageable to be able to turn units that fast. So um, we only have been looking in Oklahoma City. Um, last crash, last correction, Oklahoma City uh, did awesome. They did really well. Um, the last time that, that rents da went down, I think it was like, I don't want to misspeak on the podcast or anything, but I, I think it was like 15% was, was the typical rent loss um, out there, but Oklahoma City lost 5%. Um, regardless if you look up the exact stats um we're a lot better than the than the nationwide average and that's why we selected it because we knew that this was coming we had a really well we didn't know it was coming we don't have a crystal ball but we certainly expected something like this to happen sometime soon didn't know it was going to be called corona thought it could be called bud light or something who knew but um yeah we definitely were wanting to have a place that could um could withstand uh, um, a, a correction. We want to be in an asset class that can withstand correct, uh, a correction. Um, so just apartment communities uh, already already cash flowing, uh, usually more than 80% occupied, although we've gone down to about 78, um, but usually 80% or more occupied, cash flowing already, buying it at about a five cap in a six, seven cap area and selling it at a, you know, six, seven cap. 
But I know that sounds confusing, but it's because it's of all the value add that we do. And if it's only 80% occupied and we can get it to 94%, um, you're, we're going to make a lot of money on that. So that's what we look for. So how is you, you, you touched on it, um, Corona and COVID. What, how's your firm coping with it right now? What, I mean, obviously we haven't seen any, anything really. I mean, this is the week we're right now talking on the 1st of April, but um, what, how are you guys coping with it or precautions you're putting in place? Yeah. Um, man, it, when is this, when is this going to air? I know we're recording <laughs> April 1st. When does it air? Uh, we'll probably, probably going live in uh, around the 1st of May. Okay. Uh, the reason I ask is because uh, some of my past investors, I still need to give a phone call to. Um, we're still working on that. There's a lot of them. We have, it's a $6 million raise. Um, but by the time that this airs, ever, the cat will be out of the bag. But um, we are 99% sure we're exiting a large uh, commercial property, 200 plus units, 10 plus million dollar purchase price, 6 million raise. And we've got a lot of investors to call. And um, I think we're going to be giving their money back rather than closing the deal right now um, because we feel like it's not the right time. And now the sad part, the part that um, really, really, really sucks is number one, my company stood to make a $330,000 acquisition fee. Uh, we needed that. We wanted that. It would have been great to have uh, 330000 to uh, split between the company and have a couple of the partners be able to, you know, have a year's worth of most people's typical income. Um, so we were looking forward to that. And not only that, but, you know, that we have a hundred, I have $180,000 of the, that my name is on, like not my companies, not my partners. 180000 of my money uh, that I'm probably going to lose in earnest money. So I'm, I stand to be $510,000 poorer today uh, than I was a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we could have just closed it. We had the money raised. We had everything that we needed we, and we could have closed it and I could have had that $510,000 extra in my pocket than I do now. But I'm, 99% sure we're just, we're canceling the contract, we're exiting the contract and we're probably going to lose out on all that money because it's much better for me to lose 500 grand than for any of my passive investors to lose a dime. Uh, and so it's, it was a tough call um, and we're pretty sure we're doing it. Um, and so we're in the middle of that. So when you ask, how are we coping with COVID? How are we coping with what's going on in the beginning? first quarter of, of uh, 2020, uh, we are not buying. We are being cautious. We're waiting. We're trying to hold dry powder, although we don't have a lot now. We're trying to hold dry powder for the next deal and we're waiting for it to go down. And I think it's going to be smarter for us to buy at the bottom and make sure that our passive investors never lose a dime because we're in this business for 30 years. We're not in this business for tomorrow. And so, I might lose a little bit, um, but it's the right move because it, it's the right move for 30 years from now. Yeah, that's, that's quite the decision to make. And I mean, it is, it's very difficult for whatever your presumptions were a month or two months ago to ring true in two weeks or three weeks or a month without anybody knowing. 
Um, I still talk to some people and we're in that same thing. We've switched to asset management for the next 90 days, maybe to 180 days, hundred percent and figuring out where we are. Um, not putting out LOIs cause no one has really any idea of how long it's going to be until people come back, especially we're in a lot of C class as well, just like you. So it's something where we're still just got off the phone with one of my property managers and just seeing how everything is, how rents are being collected, not just on our properties, but on their other ones in the area. So kind of getting an idea of what they're actually seeing since we are in the first month that this is really taking hold. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, um, I want, I want to switch over to see, cause you do a lot of marketing. You're a huge master brander for your company, for yourself, through your meetup groups, your podcast, social media conferences, the whole nine yards. How does someone go about growing their sphere of influence um, about hmm. uh, whether on all different platforms? How, how do you suggest people when they come to you and ask about it? Okay, uh, great question. So th- this is what I do. I coach and mentor other people to grow their brand and I was able to grow a brand really fast. And there's three main components that, um, that I believe made me grow this fast. And the reason why a lot of my clients are starting uh, top 1% podcasts within a couple of weeks, within two to four weeks of them launching, they already have, they're already in the top 1% on iTunes, right? And that I, that I know that there's three things that have worked for me. And so great question. I think these three things will work for the listener. If the listener is thinking to themselves, I want to start a meetup or I want to start a, a social media or, or podcast or whatever, you know, what's going to make me uh, do it well. And it's kind of counterintuitive and it almost sounds like I'm contradicting myself when I say this. You have to focus on three things, um, but on each of the three, you need to focus on only that one thing. And now, so what I'm saying is that I, I believe that uh, chair that you're sitting on has to have at least three legs or you're going to fall over. Okay. So you get your stool and it, it can't have two legs. It's got to have at least three. Three is where you start to um, get the value. So my three legs, the ones that gave me value, the ones that give my coaching clients value are uh, number one, live events. Okay, when I say live events, it does not mean that you have to hold a conference. I host conferences. My conferences are in the top 5% in the world. I have 600 plus people. Almost nobody in our space can do that. Um, you don't have to get that big. You don't have to try to get that big. You don't, it, being that big doesn't make you uh, successful. You can just host a dinner. Your live event could just be a, an investor dinner with one or two investors, three or four investors, five or six, whatever. Um, you could do little workshops. You could do a little workshop on teaching people how to passively invest in real estate or something. And so you're attracting your avatar. We call it an avatar. It's your target client. And you, you want them to get value. So you teach them the thing they need to know. And so if you're raising money for real estate, your, your perfect avatar is a passive investor. So you can host dinners for them. You can host a workshop. You can host a, a conference if you want to get that crazy or a meetup. I have a great meetup. Like I've been doing meetup for years as you said in the beginning, I meet up HQ flew me out to New York City 
to Manhattan and I got to spend a couple of days with them showing them what it was that I do and why my meetup is being successful because they want to teach these things from their top organizers to other organizers, right? So, um, I can help you grow a meetup. Uh, maybe on this podcast, we can give you some tips, but some type of live event, write it down. I need a live event, even if it's just hosting a dinner. Second part is I need a thought leadership platform. Write it down. I need a platform. Uh, YouTube could be a platform. YouTube would be a great platform. Um, or you could go and use, um, get your own Facebook community. You've started your own Facebook group around your, your thing, your business, your brand, and you're helping your avatar. You're not helping people like you. You're helping your avatar, people like the people you need to work with. Okay, so you need a leadership platform, a podcast like this one, the one that we're listening to right now is a thought leadership platform for Charles. It's a place where he is the thought leader and you the listener look up to him and you see him rubbing shoulders with other greats and you see him asking the right questions and that's very important. Now, you can do that with a Facebook group or a YouTube or a blog. Maybe you don't want to be on camera. Just You could just write a blog. That's fine as long as you have that platform. And the third leg, the third leg of this stool, because you need three legs not to fall, two, you would definitely fall over, the third leg is, is your own social media presence. What are people going to find when they search you? Um, are you active on either bigger pockets? Like, um, like uh, what's his name? Joe Fairless. I shouldn't forget his name. He's a good friend. <laughs> but Joe Fairless has been in the past very active on bigger pockets. It's one of the ways that he grew his brand. Adam Adams is very active on, uh, on Facebook. I don't focus on bigger pockets at all, but my brand has also grown, you know. Um, other people have done this on Instagram or LinkedIn. And if your perfect avatar is younger and, uh, and TikTok is going to work for that avatar, then only focus on TikTok. Don't worry about all these other things. Don't, don't go to bigger pockets. Don't go to Facebook. You don't need to. Just focus on the one. So that's really um, what I think has given me the most value. What I could obviously see that Joe Fairless has gotten. He's, he's focused on all three of these, right? He has, Joe has had a meetup since the beginning of when he first started out in Cincinnati, right? He uh, also ha now hosts a conference annually with uh, Ben Lapidus, a good friend of mine. And uh, so th that's what he's doing in person. What is Joe Fairless doing, um, you know, for his thought leadership? No, he doesn't worry about YouTube. He has a YouTube. He'll, he'll randomly post some videos on YouTube, but he doesn't focus on it. He focuses. He's all in 100% on his podcast. He makes a lot of money from just from sponsors on his podcast. That money just from sponsors on his podcast allows him to live another day, no matter what happens with the economy, right? So, brilliant, brilliant strategy. Now, now you'll ask, is, is Joe Fairless doing something on social media? Yeah, he's doing bigger pockets, or he has been doing bigger pockets. Um, he's also started some other things. So, when you incorporate all three of these, that's when the magic happens. And I know I've been 
talking a lot about this and I don't want you to start rolling your eyes or dozing off as a listener. So let me just share one uh, last tip or trick of why it's important to have all three. My social media is why my podcast is a top 1% podcast. My social media is why I flew to uh, meet up headquarters on their dime. It wasn't, it wasn't like I just started a meetup and the meetup just got big without social media. It wasn't like I started a podcast and it got big without social media. I needed my social media platform, my social media, my, my Facebook in order to show people the things that I was doing. So when you're doing all three, they work in conjunction with each other. You have a podcast, so now your social media automatically has more credibility. You, um, you have a podcast, so now all of a sudden your, your, um, your events are more note, note, noteworthy because people say, well, this person's this, and so now they're gonna go there. Or you host live events, and that's gonna help your podcast listeners go from what they are now to paying clients or paying investors with your deals. So, so this is why it's so critically important that when I have a client that comes to me and says, Adam, I want you to brand me, but that they're trying to tell me, but I'm not going to do anything with social media. I'm like, well, then you're screwed. You're not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to coach you because you're going to fail. You're not going to get a top 1% podcast. I guarantee 100% money back that you get a top 1% podcast. If you don't get a top 1% podcast, I give you your money back. And so if you're not going to be on social media, I know you're going to fail at this. And so it's a waste of time to even help you. So it's critical that you look at all these three pillars or these three legs of a stool. Interesting. Awesome. Great. So when you're working on social media, what, what tips do you, in, do you incorporate into your strategy? Great. Um, you know, I wasn't actually prepared for that question. So I'm going to have to come right from, you know, nowhere. But let me try to share with you some things that really matter on social media that any listener can implement right away. The first thing is, if you've ever looked at somebody who, who does, who puts on their social media, nothing but business, you get turned off pretty quick. It'll inspire you the first time. You'll be curious the second time. You'll get, um, you'll start to think, I really like this person the third time. And then after a while, you're just like one trick pony, nonstop, just trying to jam this down my throat. You don't want to listen anymore. Even if you like the person, you have already ignored their content. So step one uh, with your social media presence that is going to be critical is that you're a well-rounded human being. I remember I'm, I, I have my sweetheart and I, um, we, we were talking a couple of years ago and um, she was talking about how I was working a lot back then, working a lot. And she's like, that's not interesting to me. That's not interesting. You're, you're all about your work. You know, you're, that's, that's what you're focused on. That's what you care about. And, and my own sweetheart, who I love and respect, and I hope we're together forever, um, was getting turned off by me because of it, right? And so, this is a good illustration of you being well-rounded. Now, you're the listener, and you're trying to see what you can do to get your social media presence out there. Um, talk about your kids if you have them. Show pictures of the kids every now and again. Not all the time, 
people will start rolling their eyes if the only thing you do is that. You know, I, I was, I'm doing a fast. So I was doing a four day fast and, and I posted about that a few times and that got new people into my circle, right? That got new people wanting to comment, wanting to share their thoughts, feelings, their impressions. Um, when I bought my new car, I posted the car when it got, it's when it first crossed a thousand miles, I was like, holy cow, it's already at a thousand miles. So what I'm saying and all I'm saying is be a well-rounded person. Show, talk about the things that matter to you, your sweetheart, your children, your, um, if you play music, if you write music. Uh, put all of that into your social media and incorporate it with the business stuff. I'm not saying don't do business stuff on there. I'm just saying that you don't have, it, it's not every single post needs to be business. So that's rule one. Rule one, uh, just me kind of thinking automatically on this. Yeah. Uh, rule number one, be well-rounded. Rule number two, your posts need to be engaging. Your posts must be engaging posts. And what I really mean by that is if Facebook's, Facebook has an algorithm to it, that if people comment or like the like it or share it, then they are more likely to start putting it in front of more of your audience. So they might start with 1%, then go to 3.5% of your audience. If you start to get some, they'll go to 3.5%. And if, if it's really getting a lot of traction, they'll, they're going to show it to about 10% of your audience. So remember that, 1, 3.5, 10. They test it with 1%. They, then they go to the three and a half. And then if you're still getting engagement, they go to 10%, but they're not going to show it to every friend, unfortunately. Um, so if you know that, then here's some things that you can do to get engagement. Number one is if you're telling people things, they're going to, they're going to get told and scroll past it, go to the next one. Then they're going to get told and scroll past that and go to the next one. But if you're asking people things, they're going to stop scrolling and they're going to start to want to answer that question. So some of my favorite posts, some of my most effective posts are, hey, I'm fasting for four days for the first time and I have a massive headache. Does anybody know what's going on? And people could not, uh, could not help themselves from being like, it's your electrolytes, it's your water levels, it's your, uh, you need more salt, uh, you know, it's, don't worry, let it pass because um, this is just you detoxing and, and all the poisons are coming back through your body again. But everybody had their own opinion and people even sometimes argue on stuff like that. <laughs> so all of a sudden they say this and then I want to respond with a question. So they're already commenting and they're saying something like, it's your salt level. And then I'll say, oh, awesome. What kind of salt should I be using? How much should I use? And get them to answer. The next person says, it'll pass. Don't worry. And I say, would it be appropriate for me to take Tylenol during this? Or will that break my fast? Question mark. And now they have to keep engaging. Well, Facebook's like, holy moly, this post is keeping Adam on Facebook all day mm -hmm. and it's keeping 700, there was like 700 something comments. Mm -hmm. It's keeping 700 people actively engaged on Facebook too. And that's a good thing because we owe our own investors, we owe our own um, advertisers as well. They have, they have 
their own investors and they have advertisers and they have a responsibility to do right by them. And so if you can make your post more engaging, stop telling people stuff. How about ask, get feedback, get advice. Um, that's going to start getting your social media to be placed in front of more and more people. Um, so like right now, I mean, I haven't talked to all of my passive investors about this deal and we're not even 100% sure that we're leaving it. We're only 99%. Um, so on this deal, once, once, we have the, um, once we have the answer to it, this is probably what I'm going to do. Let's just say we're definitely out, which we probably are. We're definitely out and uh, we just decided. Now I'm going to make a post. I'm going to make a post and it's going to say, this is why I just lost out on $510,000 or this is why I'm not buying apartments in 2020. Something like that. Do you, here's the reason why, because it stops the scroll. So even if I'm telling somebody something, uh, if it's something that's outlandish, if something far-fetched, if it's something like crazy that just, they're like, wait, what? You know, if, they, if they say, wait, what? That's a good thing. So if I say, this is, this is how I just lost 510,000 after investing in real estate for the last 15 years, I just lost 510 grand. And now they're like, wait, Adam just lost 510 after 15 years experience. What's going on? And then they read in. And then I give them that story that I gave your listeners a little bit earlier. And now they're like, oh, I, I understand why he did it. And I respect him for it. And so this is a good way to kind of get your message out. Uh, remember, hook, story, offer. Hook, story, offer. So yeah, first thing was, what was the first thing? It was if you're doing social media, you want to be well-rounded. And the second big thing would be to make it engaging. But to make it engaging, use your hook, use your story, use your offer. The offer isn't, doesn't have to be like buy this course or something. It could, be, it could be like, hey, I'm doing a webinar on COVID-19. I'm doing a webinar on COVID-19. And rather than like giving you the link already, you, you want it to be engaging. So you point down and you say, if you want if the seats are limited, we can only fit a hundred people. If you want, um, if you want to be in, drop a comment below and I'll, and I'll try to get you the thing. Right. So now yeah. they're like, Oh man, I got to hurry and do this. And they, they post it. I got 500 and something registered for my last webinar. And I, I didn't even put a dime toward advertising. It was wow. just one quick Facebook post. Most people's Facebook posts doesn't get 500 people to look at it, but we got more than 500 registered. So that's, that's really what I, I want to share. Hook story offer. If you want it to be engaging, either start with a question or start with an outlandish statement, like I'm not going to buy apartments in 2020. And the people are like, wait, you're the apartment king, Adam. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And then, so they have to read. And then you give the story that kind of illustrates the point and then the offer might be just a call to action and I point, point down to the bottom and I just say, comment below. That's the offer. Comment below and I'll get you this thing. Um, so that's kind of like the process that I think anyone could replicate to be, uh, have a stronger social media presence. Right. It's, it's funny because I saw that, that your, uh, your post on fasting and someone was telling you not to drink coffee and I just, I remember, I don't know why I remember that, that one comment that they had, but it's completely true how, I mean, it was, there was so much engagement in it. So it was crazy. It was uh, quite the post. The, um, so with your social media, with your other leg of doing stuff, which meetup, which obviously you're, you're fantastic at, um, 
what what for someone that wants to start a successful meetup group what are some of the tips tactics that one should employ to do so yeah well number one you need to differentiate yourself from everyone else that's the most important part so how to do that is really starting by doing your reconnaissance like you, you need to get into military mode and and go and scan your competition um, you know, research your competition, research like, every other group. You want to find out things like what time of the day do they meet? What day of the week do they meet? Um, how often it, during a month will they meet? Um, how much does it cost to meet? Um, where do they meet? Do they meet at restaurants? Do they meet at conference centers? Do they meet at uh, a, a beer, like a brewery? Do they meet hiking? You know, what are, you, what are the ones out there? Which ones are successful? Which ones aren't? What do you think is making them successful? When was their last meetup? What was it called? What did they name it? You, so you got to do a lot of work before you start it. Because if, you're, if you don't do this work, you're not going to be able to differentiate yourself. And if you can't differentiate yourself, you will lose the game. You will be just another, uh, just another group that meets at 6.30 at night on Tuesday nights. And it costs 200 for the year or 25 per time. You'll be in that thing where it doesn't matter what kind of real estate you're in, you can come. And most of the people there are not doing deals. That's the real case on the average meetup. So I'm, I just did some of your work for you. If you're, uh, if you're a real estate investor, I just did a lot of your work for you. You don't want to meet at 6.30 at night. You don't want to meet once a month. You don't want to cost... 25 for a day and 200 for a year because this is the stuff that is happening all the time. You don't want to have a meetup that's anything real estate. It's just, it's been tried too many times and that's why most of those meetups don't do very well. So if you want a really good tip on, on meetup, make sure you're differentiating, differentiating yourself. You know, I guess they call it niching, niche down or find a niche. Um, I, I, I like that because you want to do something no one else is doing. But once you do that, this is the most important part. So number one, niche. Number two, advertise, market. You got to market it. You got to brand it. And you got to be relentless about this. So now that you know that you're the only, I was the only meetup meeting weekly. Uh, I was the only meetup meeting at lunch. I was the only meetup that was free. I was the only meetup that talked about creative real estate. Once I got that stuff, I started to write down why would somebody meet every week versus every month? What would be the benefit? And then I realized it takes six times for you to start trusting people to do business with them. And if you can do that in a faster period of time, you're going to do business with other people in the room. So I came up with this idea. Now that I've made my meetup different, how can I share with people the why behind it? How come we meet weekly? And how can I have them buy into it? So I say something like, the reason, uh, the reason I decided that we have to meet weekly is because there's a lot of meetups out there and there's a lot of people that aren't, aren't serious and they keep coming and, and they'll fall off after a time or two. They'll be going for two months and they'll be like, I, this real estate thing's not working for me. And so 
Um, that's why I decided to go ahead and go weekly. It's for you. And I point at them, right? It's for you. I wanted to go weekly for you because if it takes six times, that's what the science tells us, six to 15 times, but at least six times before you'll ever do a, a deal with somebody, before you ever trust somebody enough. Well, I don't want it to take you two months and then you fall off or even at best, I don't want you to go to some meetup six months in a row and finally be able to do a deal. So with us, after just six weeks, a month and a half, you're doing deals, you're doing business. And then I go, and that's why the people that come to this meetup keep coming back every single week because they know that blah, 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 blah. So I create a story that illustrates why we're different. And I do that about why, we, why we're free instead of why we cost 200 per year or why we cost 10 grand to join the mastermind or 20 grand or whatever it is to join the mastermind versus a meetup out there because we get this quality of people or whatever. So you will always have to say everybody else is like this and we're different and you want to uh, market that, advertise it and be relentless about communicating that not every now and again, every single week, every single time you have your people in your room, you're going to tell them, why this meetup is different, why they need to be coming, why they need to become weekly, how, what it's going to do for them. When you can do those types of things, your meetup attendee is going to feel like they're getting a ton of value by coming. And it was very simple for you to do those two things. And I've got six other things. If I'm allowed to give a free giveaway, I can give you sure, sure, like something. Sure. All right. Because there's actually six things and we only really had time to go into two of them. There's actually six things that, that changed my meetup and why Meetup HQ flew me out. And so I wrote uh, an, a little article that can give you these six things. So the two that I gave you just now, plus the other four, um, where you can take this and they're all as impactful as the first two, but you just text uh, meetup. It's that easy. Text the word meetup to triple five, triple eight. It's just 555-888. And if you text the word meetup, uh, yes, you'll get on my list. I'll have your email address, but uh, on, in your benefit, um, you're going to have these six things. And if you are going to start a meetup group, you'll need those six things uh, to be able to make sure that you're absolutely going to be impactful to the people that are attending. So they, they keep coming back and they keep telling other people about your group. Yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a great thing for people that are interested in setting up a meetup to, to contact you and reach out. Um, so how can our listeners, I'll put all, the, all these links and all the information with the text number in the show notes so people can check into that. But how can listeners uh, get in touch with you and your company to learn more? Best way would be text meetup to 555-888 and they'll know about me and that'll be an easy way. I don't want to give them too many uh, calls to action. And that's a good thing for you. When you're running a meetup, when you're running your own podcast, when you're on your social media, this is a really big deal to you to implement yourself. Only have one call to action. Mm -hmm. So when I come on here, if I talk about text meetup to triple five, triple eight, it doesn't benefit me to give you my website and my Twitter handle and my, you know what I mean? So, um, well, we'll just take that as, as a lesson. If they do want to reach out to me, they'll text meetup to triple five, triple eight. Yeah, it's a good idea. Don't overwhelm them. So, well, thanks so much for being on the show, Adam. I really appreciate it and looking forward to uh, meeting up with you in the future. Thank you, brother. Thank you.
Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.